Our text for today comes to us from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Listen now for a word from God. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the Beautiful Gate so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who used to sit and ask for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you again for today, and Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that whatever wisdom we would glean from it this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you all ever met someone that is like insanely proud of their lawn mowing skills? Have you met these people? Are you one of them? Are you willing to admit it? Are you one of them? You take great pride in how you're lawn. I saw a hand there, Craig. I saw that. <laughs> I, I think that's fine. I think that's fine. I'm, I am not one of those people. But I, I used to know someone like that. In fact, I used to live with them uh, when I was in Colorado. And um, I worked as, I, I was called a pastoral associate. Um, and, and really, I was an associate pastor with the job description, but I, I wasn't able to be ordained. And so they called me a pastoral associate, and they paid me a lot less money <laughs> than what I would have gotten. Um, so I had to do extra things to make up my income, and so what I would do, I would house sit, I would walk dogs, I laid uh, flooring with a guy from the church uh, on the side and at night. Um, I, I really did anything, and sometimes I would mow lawns. Well, this guy in the church who was insanely proud of his lawn mowing skills um, came to me one day, and he asked me to house sit. And he had apparently seen some of my lawn mowing work around town from some of the other members, and he felt that I was worthy to cut his lawn one time. They were going to be gone for three weeks, and so halfway through, he said he would, he would mow right, you know, the day before they left, and then he would need one mow right after that. And he, he had this, like, beautiful, beautiful yard in, in the hills of, of Colorado, and you could see the San Juan Mountains, like, out his back window. And he had, I, I think it was like three or four acres, so he had a, a pretty big mower that he used, and kind of showed me how to work it and all of that. And he showed me his property and how beautiful it was. And he had, on his property, he had these cottonwood trees. Have you all s seen cottonwood trees? 
beautiful, beautiful trees, but he had four of them that stood. And they, I mean, he told me they were probably 150 to 200 years old. Beautiful, beautiful trees. He had a beautiful manicured lawn, and he took great, great pride in it. And he gave me the keys to the lawnmower. Well, the day came that I, I had to mow this lawn, and I was going, I was doing my thing, I was following the instructions, and I was going to do a really, really good job because I thought, if he trusts me to do this, man, and I do a good job, I might get more lawn mowing jobs out of this, and this, this will be good. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the mower, and I'm going, and I, I kind of go past the garage, and, and on his garage, there was, there was this kind of... Um, it was a concrete slab, and on the concrete slab, there was a workbench. And on the workbench, there was this giant, like, 55-gallon container of liquid. I didn't know what the liquid was. We hadn't talked about the liquid. We hadn't even talked about the giant drum, but it was, it was a big one. And as I was passing the table and the drum, I turned the mower. It was one of those zero turns, and I wasn't too familiar with it. And I turned a little too quickly, and the back end kind of spun out, and there was this hitch that came off the, the back of the mower that you could kind of attach a tractor to or something or a wagon. And the hitch hit the leg of the table, and it broke the table, and then that drum hit the concrete, and out splashed this brown, nasty-smelling liquid all over the lawn. You wouldn't believe how far 55 gallons of liquid <laughs> can travel. <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. I thought, oh, maybe it's just old rainwater. Things will be fine. So I finished cutting the lawn, and I stood outside, and I'm taking pictures just admiring my beautiful work. I mean, I had, I had the lines going. I had the grass laying the right way. I mean, I did everything exactly as he asked me to. I took pictures, and I sent it to him, and he said, great job, Garrett great job. Well, the next morning I woke up and um, I, I was house sitting for them. I woke up and I walked outside to get in my car to go to church, do some work. And there was a giant brown patch <laughs> all throughout this lawn. I mean, you couldn't believe the size of this brown patch just stretching all over this lawn and all the grass was just dead and gone. <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> I wonder how that happened. <laughs> and, I, you know, I thought about calling, we'll call him John. I thought about calling John and saying, hey, John, I, something happened here. But then I thought, oh, he'll be back in a couple weeks. Th this will be fine. Well, like three or four days later, I start to notice these giant cottonwoods are losing leaves at a surprising rate. And it's not fall. I mean, it's, it's like June. They're losing leaves at a surprising rate until pretty soon, like four or five days after this happened, all the leaves are off the trees, and it's, it's very clear like something is wrong. And so I, I called John, and I said, hey, I, I just want you to know something happened. And I tell him everything that happened, and I told him about the drum, and he said, yeah, that was concentrated pesticide that I left out. And it all got in the soil. It ruined his lawn. It killed these four <laughs> cottonwood trees with a combined age of like 600 years. It was devastating. He had to tear up all the sod in the area where it spilled and then resod it. And it, I mean, just an absolute mess. And I'll never forget, like, when he came back 
and I had to like see him and show him everything that happened, I couldn't look him in the eyes. Have you, have you ever been that ashamed of something you've done where it's like you can't, I didn't even want to be around him. I mean, he came up, he wanted to shake my hand. He, he really wasn't angry at me, but I was like, I can't even deal with this. I just, I just killed the trees. I killed the grass. I mean, I, I was ashamed. And I remember it took, I, I was out in Colorado for about four and a half years. It took about two years before I finally felt just comfortable being around John again. And, and again, not because of anything he did. Not because he, you know, rubbed my nose in it. I just felt ashamed because I made such a huge mistake. I was there the day they cut down those cottonwood trees and John gave me a little piece of bark and told me to hold on to it. <laughs> he said, keep this and just remember that it'll be okay. It'll be okay. I think we've all probably felt shame at some point in our life, right? I mean, has anyone not felt shame? I'd love for you to come up and talk for a little bit. We've all felt shame in, in some form or another. Maybe it's something we've done, some silly mistake like running a lawnmower into a 55-gallon drum of pesticide. Could be something else that we've done. Or sometimes, as I said, in the time for the child inside all of us, sometimes it's related to who we are and, and what the world has said to us, right? I mean, growing up, really, like, uh, I was teased a lot for having red hair and was told that, you know, gingers are never as attractive as other people and, and on and on and on. Sometimes the world gives us a narrative about ourselves that's just filled with shame because of who we are. I didn't choose to be born with red hair. In fact, if I, if I had the choice, I probably wouldn't choose that, right? <laughs> just to avoid some of that. But we still receive the shame from the stories that we're told and the stories we tell ourselves. And that shame, it separates us, doesn't it? We feel a distance between those that we're, that we're around. It's like there's a curtain between us. So Peter and John, in our story for today, they're going up to the temple. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, and they're doing what everyone does at 9 o'clock in the morning. They're going to the temple to pray. It's the hour of prayer, we're told. And, I, well, I shouldn't say everyone does that at 9 in the morning. It's really what the pious do at 9 in the morning, right? Everyone else is off at work doing whatever they, they need to do. But the pious, they're going to the temple, and they're going to pray. And Peter and John are going up with them. And there's another guy there, we're told. It's a guy who hasn't been able to walk since he was born. He's born this way, born with no capacity, no strength in his legs. And so every day he's carried to the same spot in front of the same gate. And he's, he's probably carried by a group of people that are going to the temple to worship. And he's laid intentionally outside the gate, outside the sanctuary, because he's considered unclean. And he's considered unclean because he can't walk. And he's considered unclean because he can't walk because the theology that prevailed at the time was that if you were born with a physical ailment like that, the only explanation could be that, well, one, God created you that way intentionally. And if God created you that way intentionally with such a handicap, um, then probably you are a sinner or you were a sinner or your parents were a sinner or somewhere down the line you 
have come from a sinful and shameful past, and so you deserve it. You're getting what was coming to you or to your family, and you have to serve that punishment, and so you're not allowed in. You're a sinner, and you can't be made clean with an ailment like that unless, you know, you happen to just stand up and walk one day. And so this guy who hasn't been able to walk since birth, he's sitting at the gate, he's sitting in the same spot that he always sits, and he's doing the same thing that he does every single day. And he's, I, I imagine he's kind of crouched down, he's got his head between his knees, and he's, he's holding a bowl up for whatever people will offer. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's bread, sometimes anything of value he'll take. And he's probably saying the same thing he says to everyone. Can you spare some change for a guy that can't walk? Can you spare some change for a guy that can't walk? Hey, I'm down and out. I can't walk. Would you mind? Could you spare something for someone who can't walk? It's the same thing he says every day to everyone that passes to the point that it's almost robotic, right? He doesn't even see the people coming in and out. He's just in his spot, kind of doing his job, going through the motions. And while he's there and people are passing, Peter and John happen to come by. And they see him. And they hear him saying this phrase over and over and over. Can you spare some change for someone who can't walk? Can you spare some change? And they walk up to him and he says it to them. He says, hey, can you spare some change for someone who can't walk? But he doesn't look at them. He keeps his eyes down. And Peter and John, they, they do something strange and out of the ordinary. They, I imagine they kind of stoop down to him and get on his level. And they look at him as he continues to repeat this phrase to really no one in particular. And they say to him, they say, look at us. Look at us. And they're probably referring to the fact that they're unemployed fishermen that are living off the goodwill of the people, and so they're not wearing robes that suggest they have anything to give. <laughs> look at us. And the guy looks up, and he kind of gives a half-hearted smile. And he says, oh, thank you, thank you, thinking he's going to receive something from them, right? They're going to toss bread in the bowl or maybe a couple coins. And they say, no, 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 look at us. We don't have any gold or silver to give to you. But what we do have, we offer. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And it says that, you know, Peter and John take him by the right hand and he stands up and suddenly his, his ankles are healed and his, his legs are strong and he's able to walk. And it's right here that so many pastors, myself included, I've preached this sermon before and I can tell you when I did this. We stop right here. And we become so infatuated with the power of God, Right? The miracle of someone that couldn't walk suddenly walking again. And that is amazing. Please hear me. That, that's amazing. Great. But we stop. We don't see the real miracle that Luke is pointing us toward. Because we want a sign, right? We want the fireworks of God. We want these big moments where we can point and say, that guy couldn't walk, and now he can walk, and so there is a God, and isn't that so amazing? We should all believe and be Christians and go to church, and this is so, so great, because God, God might show up like that again. And God, God might. That might happen. 
But the real miracle takes place after he stands up, after he starts walking. What happens is he, he starts leaping. He starts jumping, and he starts dancing, and I imagine he's like spinning around, and, and he's so excited, and then he grabs Peter and John, and he starts dragging them through the gate into the temple, into the sanctuary, and he's praising God. And this is the miracle. He's allowed inside the building. He doesn't have to stop at the gate and, and just beg people anymore. He gets to go in, and he gets to pray. He gets to worship with people. He's included in the community. All that shame that he grew up with, not being able to walk, never being included, always being an outcast, people always walking by him and missing him, ignoring him. I mean, he's unseen in society. You actually can't even associate with him because if you associate with him, you make yourself unclean. And you take on his sin and then you're separated. So he was hands off his whole life. And now he can walk and he can leap and he can worship and he can join the community of God's people. That's a miracle, isn't it? It's also kind of an indictment of religious systems that would keep people outside the sanctuary doors simply because of who they are, how they were born, who God made them to be. You might hear a story like this and, um, and you think, you know, yeah, of course, of course we should include someone like that. Of course you would want someone like that in the building. Of course they should be allowed. I mean, everyone should have the same amount of rights, right? Everyone should be treated equally. Everyone was created in the image of God. Everyone belongs, and so it's a beautiful story, and we, we should be like that too. And it's easy for us to think that about others, I think, sometimes, right? It's easy for us to say others should be included. Sometimes it's not. As a country, we're actually not very good at that. But I, I think individually, sometimes we're better at allowing others in and seeing the equality and the divine image in others, but I wonder how often you see it in yourself. I wonder how often you see it in yourself. Especially if you've been given a narrative like the man who was at the beautiful gate had been given, that you don't belong. You aren't allowed in here. You're not equal. You're less than. Because you were born, insert whatever society doesn't like about you. Sometimes those narratives, they get in the way of you accessing the Spirit of God within you. We do it to others, and I think also we do it to ourselves. And in the church, you know, today we're, we're celebrating uh, Trinity Sunday. It's the day we celebrate Father, Son, Holy Ghost. 
And we spend so much time in the church talking about how God is for us, right? This is the whole Old Testament. God is for us. God is for God's people. God is on our side. And then we spend a lot of time with Jesus, too, and we focus on Jesus, God with us, right? Emmanuel, God with us. God takes on flesh. God feels what we feel. God has suffered what we've suffered, even more than we've suffered. God has come and paid the ultimate sacrifice. But in the church, we often neglect the Holy Spirit, especially Presbyterian churches. We're a little afraid of the Spirit in here, aren't we? People start moving a little too much in the pews. We get a little uncomfortable, don't we? What do we call ourselves, Pastor? The, the frozen chosen? That's right. We like things decent, in order, and in line. The Spirit comes. And the Spirit creates this kind of holy chaos in the world. A holy chaos that includes people so radically that we often don't know what to do about it. A holy chaos that comes and says, you are created in the image of God. Each and every single one of you, no matter how you were born, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what the world has told you, the Spirit of God is living within you. And how often do you miss that? How often do you not believe that? How often do you push it away and say, maybe in others, but not in me? And we miss that. But Peter doesn't in this story for today. Peter, I think, has kind of, well, he's been through a lot, hasn't he? I mean, Peter is the one who said and said over and over, I will never deny you. I'll go to the cross with you, Jesus, and then promptly denied Jesus three times and ran away with all the other disciples. It was actually only the women that stayed behind throughout the entire trial and tribulation of Jesus. Peter has kind of overcome that. John has overcome it, and, and, and I think they're seeing within themselves that Jesus has sent the Spirit. And they're kind of calling on that authority, but then this man who's been healed, he's seeing what Peter is seeing in him, and that is the divine image. And so he's willing to stand up and leap and go walk with people. He just sheds his shame like that. And he goes. And he gets the thing he really wanted. It was never about money or bread when he was begging. It was about connection. I want to encourage you. I'm preaching to myself here too. I want you to know. I want to encourage you to see the Spirit of God dwelling within you. To know that like God God is in you. Do you I mean do you know that? The Spirit of God is living within you, and that's not just something that we think, it's something that we experience. It's not an abstraction. It's something we live into. 
Can you see the spirit of God within you? Can you see the beauty that God has placed within you? Even when you look at yourself and you see your inadequacies, and gosh, I'll be the first one to name all of my inadequacies and all of my deficiencies, all of those things, but can you hold those two together, side by side? I am both broken and flawed in some ways, and I still have a lot of work to do and a lot of progress to make, but also the Spirit of God dwells within me, dwells within you. I think if we can hold those two in tension, you can see that God is in you, and you can see that there's also this other side, and you can embrace that, and you can accept it. You'll know what it is to be in communion, not just with the community of God's people, but with God as well. You might shed some of those shames that are holding you back and creating barriers between you and those that are around you. And you might begin to live into this powerful, divine presence that welcomes others in radical ways. You might, you might just begin to see the world around you change. Because if we really believe the Spirit of God is in us and in those around us, how could we not begin to live in an entirely different way? Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for sending your Spirit. God, I pray we would see your image within us. We would hear the truth of Pentecost, that the Spirit has come and has made a temple in our hearts and dwells with us even here today. Despite our inadequacies, despite our shames, despite what the world may say about us, God, would you help us to see that you are in us and we are in you. In Jesus' name, amen.